0: Friends, I want to talk about a topic this morning that comes out of the book of Galatians that's often on my heart. You see, people today think they're good. People today feel they're not really hurting anyone, and because they feel they're good, they don't understand why there's a need for the cross, why there's a need for God. And often if you talk to people today and you say, look, can I explain Christianity to you, or can I talk to you about God, they'll say something like, look, I'm a good person. I've got my own faith. Look, I'm glad you found God. Good for you. I'm really happy about that. But I, I don't need God. I'm a good person. Things are going well. And I've often found that in today's culture, not only do the non-Christians say that, but when non-Christians come to church, or they come to a Bible study, a home group meeting, a prayer meeting, quite often what's presented is really wishy-washy and watered down. And what's produced as a result are people who are giving God a try but they haven't experienced repentance, they don't even know who Jesus really is or what sin is, and there's no transformation takes place. So we're living in a generation where it seems to be like lots of people are still coming to faith, but it seems to be a religion without power, without transformation. Now, it's nothing wrong with the Bible. There's nothing wrong with the gospel. There's something very lacking in how we present the Bible and the gospel to people today. I felt led of the Lord a couple of months ago to spend a few weeks on the book of Galatians. And the reason for that is this. I think we need to be aware as we're fasting, as we're praying, as we're serving, as we're loving on the people, that God is good. And when you look at the equation, what brings about miracles, what brings about transformation, my biggest confidence is is in the fact that God is always good. He's always working for us. He profoundly loves people. And so grace... And the gospel story has got to be huge. And, and Galatians is all about grace. It's all about understanding the goodness of God. The theme of Galatians is found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It says this, Christ has set us free. This means we are really free. Now hold on to your freedom. And don't ever become slaves of the law again. You might recall from last week how the Apostle Paul went into modern-day Turkey Uh, area then called Galatia, and he preached grace. He said, look, nothing you can do will be good enough to cause you to connect with God and inherit eternal life. Nothing you can do, but it's all been done by Jesus. And and it's not about you, it's about how good he is. And if you put your trust in him, your life will be better, but you need to believe, you need to repent. And he preached a simple message about grace, and they loved it. The people there who had a non-Jewish background just lapped it up and they enjoyed it. They started moving in the gifts and moving in the love of God, just having fellowship, crossed together, you know, from different, different regions, different different ethnic backgrounds. They're blending, they're having fun, there's freedom. And in the midst of all that freedom and fun, just shortly later came a group of people up from Jerusalem. And the people who came to Jerusalem to this young church were just loving the freedom that you have in Christ. And they came to the young church and they said, it's all good that you believe in Jesus. It's all good that you've received him. It's all good that you believe in grace. That's fine. But if you want to be really spiritual, there's a whole lot of extra things you need to do as well. And if you want to prove that you're really a Christian, a believer now, there's a whole lot of sweat and tears and pain you need to endure. And the men have to be circumcised. It's part of the pain process. And they came along and they dumped these extra laws on top of the young Christians there who were enjoying freedom. And the young Christians so quickly added on the add-ons and took it on board. And Paul gets really upset. Paul says, how on earth can I teach the gospel and explain to you it's all about Jesus and his love? And now you're adding on laws and regulations and ritual. He said, if someone adds to the gospel, something else, let them be accursed. If they say you need to believe in Jesus and worship on Saturdays. If they say you need to believe in Jesus and read the King James Version only. If they say this and, 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 Paul says let him be accursed. It's a serious thing. The gospel is a gospel of grace. And Paul says in the book of Galatians, it's about his goodness, it's about his love. You stand in that and you don't let go. You hang on to your freedom. Don't come under the law again. Now, if it's all about grace and relationship, the question then becomes, well, why give us the Old Testament? Why give us the Ten Commandments? If I just believe and I receive and and it's all about grace, why that first half of the Bible? It doesn't make any sense at all. And in the passage we're looking at this morning, Paul responds to that question. Why the Ten Commandments? Why have the law? I'm going to read just verse 18, Galatians 3, verses 18 to 29. Fourth, the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. What was the promise he gave Abraham? Tell the person beside you, friends. What was the great promise he gave Abraham? Just whisper it to the person beside you. This is years and years before the law was given to Moses, the Ten Commandments. God said to Abraham, Abraham, you're gonna have great, a great number of descendants, and through one of those descendants, the whole world will be blessed. And if people believe in that descendant, they trust in that descendant, they'll be saved. Abraham, he goes, I believe what you're promising me, God. And God says, Abraham, because you believed in the promise. And the promised descendant, Abraham, today you're saved. Today you're made right with God. So a huge amount of time, years before the Ten Commandments were given on Mount Sinai to Moses, a promise is given, Abraham, you're going to have a descendant. And that through that descendant, the world can be blessed. Oh, was speaking about Jesus. Salvation, Abraham found out, was not about stress and strain and pain and tears, but about believing in the promise and resting in that knowledge. Verse 19, why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who has promised. Most people today are going to tell you in New Zealand they're good people. They don't hurt anyone. And because they're good people, they don't hurt anyone, they feel everything's right with them, they don't see any need for God at all. And the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus makes no sense. Paul here writes, The purpose of the Ten Commandments is to educate people, to show them that they're sinners. And it has its place until the promised descendant comes. The truth is that most Kiwis have no idea what sin is. A lot of people, when they hear a presentation of the gospel, someone shares their testimony, excluded from that presentation is the fact that God is holy and you're not, and this is what sin looks like. And if that pollution's not taken out of your life, one day you'll face a God who is holy and perfect and fair and just, and a polluted person cannot live for an eternity with a pure and holy God. The judgment has to come. And that part of the gospel is often left out. Most people today have no idea that it's wrong to hate on someone. It's wrong to be selfish. It's wrong to, <coughs> to imagine stuff, to think about um, sexual things in your mind and play the tapes through, that God would say those things are sinful, a pollution, a terrible. Verse 19, God gave his law through the angels to Moses, who was a mediator between God and the people. Now, a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave the promise to Abraham. Here's a a picture. God speaks to Abraham. He says, Abe, just love your boy. You're a good man. He's a man of faith, the father of faith. He's a great man. Abe, you've believed the promise. You're saved. Simple. God speaking to Abraham. How did the law come? The law came from God to angels, from angels to Moses. From Moses comes down the hill, he tells it to the people. What Paul is saying, it's far better the way the first commandment was given to Abraham, the first promise, far better because it's direct from God to Abraham than this process down through the angels, through Moses to the people. It's a much better process. It proceeds, it's a greater process. Is there therefore a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us a new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Christ Jesus. Here's the problem. Paul says, if you believe in the promised one, you're saved. And the Old Testament suggests that if you obey the Ten Commandments, you're saved. So, Paul, is there a conflict? Is it obeying the Ten Commandments or is it believing in the promised one? It saves a person. And Paul would say there's no conflict there. It's actually both. You can believe in Jesus and be saved, or you can keep the Ten Commandments absolutely perfect every day of your life until you die and be saved that way. And if you try that approach, you're going to find it very challenging. No one's made it except for Jesus It's not a conflict, it's just that this one is possible, the approach of grace, and this one of works, of keeping the rules, is impossible. By looking at the rules, we become convicted of sin, and we realise we need a saviour. Option one and option two are true. In fact, if you truly understand option two, and you look at the Beatitudes and the way Jesus further expanded on the Ten Commandments, it's terrifying. He says, you've heard it said if you sleep with someone you're not married to, you're sinning, you know? Then Jesus says, but I tell you, if you play the tape around in your head, you've committed adultery of your heart. You've heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, if you hate on someone, you've committed murder in their heart. We can be saved by faith. We can be saved by obeying the rules. I kind of think that one's achievable because of God's goodness. And the standard for that is just too high for any human to achieve. I've sat down with people who don't yet know Jesus and began to just explain the Ten Commandments, ask them the questions the way Ray Comfort does on um, on his very good courses on evangelism. And it's interesting, even if they don't believe in God, and I ask them the Ten Commandment questions, conviction seems to come. And that doesn't surprise me, because Jesus at one point says, repent and believe in the New Testament. Truth is truth. And so you you go take them to Exodus 20, do it from memory probably, beginning at verse 2, and you get these commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. And you say to someone who's not a Christian, who feels they're good, who feel they have no need for God, um, Has God always been number one in your life, before your family, before your work, before your golf, before your bank account, before your popularity? If not, you're a sinner. You're a polluted person. You're unlike God. Commandment two, you must not make for yourself an idol, i.e. make up your own belief system. Can you say that you've never once done that? You should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Why, my spirit just reacts when people blaspheme in society. It's just ugly. It's like Satan's got control of their words to try and throw something back at God. It's a serious, serious sin. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. In the Old Testament, it was Saturday. In the New Testament, we're told every day is holy. But the principle of having a day off to focus on God and rest from your work is still a principle we should respect and honour. Honour your mother and father. Have you ever spoken rudely to your parents just once in your life? You shall not commit murder. That includes hating on people. Have you ever hated on somebody at some point in your life, then you're guilty of the sin of murder. You shall not have sexual relationships with anyone outside of marriage. Then Jesus goes on to say, even to imagine it is a sin. You shall not steal. Have you ever taken anything that doesn't belong to you? If so, God says, you're guilty of the sin of being a thief. You shall not lie. Have you ever lied? Stretched the truth? uh, Come up with something to stop you facing consequences, facing some form of punishment or um, a consequence? Lies are serious. People who tell lies will not go to heaven. You shall not covet. Have you ever uh, drooled over what other people have and sort of gone out on a limb to get something that you can't really afford? Then it's a sin of greed and it's serious. Kiwis say to us, I'm okay, you're okay. The Bible says, God's okay, you need a lot of help. You seriously need help, you need a saviour. And it points us to Jesus, the one and true answer. If we share the gospel without telling the whole truth, we create people who think they've come into the kingdom who are weak and fragile. And when the first pressure comes, the first challenge comes, the first unanswered prayer happens, they just up and they go. They go, oh, it didn't work out. Didn't tell me it was going to be this hard. you know." And they give up and they walk away. We need to tell people the whole truth. Often we say to people, come to Jesus. He loves you and he'll forgive your sin. He'll give you peace. He'll help you through life and give you meaning. An eternity in the life to come. That's absolutely true. But we omit a whole lot of other truth as well. And we expect them to start the Christian life without understanding the holiness of God and the need for repentance. Ray Comfort years ago told a story of a plane that was about to crash. And I'll just pick on Air New Zealand today. It's probably (coughs) not ever going to happen with Air New Zealand, but let's just pick on them. He tells a story of a flight leaving maybe from Brisbane, New Zealand, Auckland going to Brisbane. What's that, about a three and a half, four hour flight? Halfway across the channel, across the ditch, fuel starts leaking from the plane's wings, just pouring out. The captain summons the steward, the head steward to the front cabin. And she says to the steward, listen, we've got a problem. Uh, The fuel is just hemorrhaging from the plane. We are going to crash within half an hour. People need to put their parachutes on. We are going down. It's definitely going to crash. We're not going to make Brisbane. So the steward goes out into the into the main airspace there in, in the plane and picks up a microphone and he says quietly to people, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you're enjoying your flight today. You know, flying with Air New Zealand. Um, for your comfort and convenience, would you please take one of these parachutes and put it on your back? You know, tea and coffee will be served soon. Uh, you'll be much more comfortable, you'll enjoy the trip. You might even feel more loved wearing one of our Air New Zealand parachutes. And of course, the, the steward walks out there into the plane and who would like a parachute? And three hands out of 200 go up. And they put on the parachute and they put on the parachute and it's not there. It's actually heavy and it's uncomfortable. Then they sit back in the seat, and now there's a lot less room between them and the seat in the front, you know, and they sit there waiting and Sure enough, the steward comes to serve coffee and tea like he promised he would. And just as he comes to the first guy with a parachute on, I mean, people are snickering at him, going, what an egg. What's he doing Throwing a parachute on the plate? Don't they look silly, you know? Steward comes along and he spills a cup of boiling hot coffee all over the sky. He jumps up and he goes, this isn't what I was expecting. Blow your flipping parachute, you know. chucks it on the floor, sits back in his seat, looking all embarrassed and angry. Same time, different plane, in New Zealand again. Please forgive me, in New Zealand. They're flying from Auckland to Brisbane. Halfway across the channel, the same problem develops. Fuel starts pouring out of the wing of that plane. The captain summons the head steward to the, to the cork cockpit. Goes to the cockpit and the, the captain says, Listen, we've got half an hour max. Get those people to put on their parachutes. We are going to crash in the ditch. We're going to crash in the ocean. So the steward goes out and says, Ladies and gentlemen... Sorry to inform you, Uh, there's a real tragedy about to come up. We are definitely going to crash. This plane has got less than half an hour flight time left. We are going to end up in the ocean. Who would like a parachute? Everybody puts their hands up. And the steward's singing about how cold it is in the ocean and maybe they are going to wait for a while to be rescued. So these guys are sitting in the plane with their parachutes on the back. They're jolly uncomfortable. You know, there's not much space between them and the front seat. The steward comes along in the second plane, and he spills some coffee over one of the people with the parachute on. What's the guy do? Couldn't care less, could he? He knows the truth that, yes, you need a parachute. Yes, the plane is going to crash. And in life, there's challenges and there's difficulties. He's not going to take that parachute off for anything. And that's what's missing from the gospel, friends, when most people tell it. When I watch Christianity on TV, when I listen to some preaching, or people sharing the gospel one-on-one, we say, God loves you, he's got a plan for your life. That is absolutely true. That God is good, that is absolutely true. But we need to say also, God is holy. And use the Ten Commandments like a mirror, like a standard to help them see that what their condition is. They're going to tell you they're good people, they don't need God. But I suggest to you, instead of holding back on the truth and thinking, gosh, they'll get it one day. They'll understand one day it's not right to get drunk every month. They'll understand one day it's not right to be selfish and greedy. It's, a, it's not right to be in that relationship. They, they'll understand, they'll work it out one day. Let's not, not offend them. Let's not say something. No, the loving thing to do is to say, the plane is going to crash. It's a sure thing. But you don't need to die with it. You get to live your life the way you were meant to live it now. And it could be hard. It could be challenges. It's not, we're not promised an easy trip. But when, you, when the plane does go down, you can be sure you're going to survive. You're going to make it because you've got your parachute on. You know, the one who can save you, you've got the, the person who can save you. We need to give the full gospel. We need to let people come into the kingdom with repentance and a heart change. If they don't know what sin is, how can they repent of it? i found as a pastor that if people are given time to say sorry for their sins and truly turn from it, like part of in the story, go home, go away, sit down in the church for however long it takes and take time to repent. When you are baptized in water and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes in power and really fills them. If they're not given time to repent, they don't even know what sin is. You pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit, and very little happens. Why? Because we're skipping something. The gospel requires an unholy people to become a holy people through Christ, through the cross. And that requires repentance, that requires dying to self. Unless we accept the promised one, the wages of sin is death. And polluted people can't go into an eternity with God. Interesting with things on the box, if you get a chance to read it sometime, a couple of weeks ago we started writing the things we get from God for free because we're Christians. and We could cover all those sides of the box with twenty, thirty on each side. There's so much you receive for free. One of the greatest things for me is that even when life is traumatic and maybe not going well, there's peace in the midst of the storm that I know and I can still hear his voice. I know that any time I can ask God a question, he'll give me an answer for any given situation, whether it's work or family or for general life. We're given so much because of the cross, and we get to truly live because of the cross. Verse 26, "'For you are all children of God through faith in Christ, "'and all have been united with Christ in baptism, "'have put on Christ like putting on new clothes.'" There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You are all one in Christ. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Anybody here know what the Hebrew men used to pray in the morning when they got up and they had their quiet time? They prayed a prayer that went something like this. God, I thank you. I'm not a uh, Gentile, I'm not a dog, I'm not a woman. And that's the way ancient Hebrew men used to start their day. Paul comes along and says, once you're baptised into Christ, there is neither male nor female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, you're one in Christ Jesus. How different is that? Culture puts down people. Culture looks down on people when we're in Christ Jesus, we're made level, we're made equal, we're made one in Christ. I love the fact that he talks about being put in Christ. When you're baptised, you're put in Christ. I've got a bit of paper here. If I put that in my Bible and the Bible represents Jesus and close it, that bit of paper exists, but it's fully surrounded by the Bible. You and I, once we're committed to Christ, we come into the kingdom. When we approach the throne of grace, God the Father is not looking at us and going, God, there's Russell. had all those patient patience problems and this and that and all these things he wrestled with. He doesn't see that. When I approach the throne of grace, when you approach the throne of grace, he sees the glory of Christ wrapped around us. He sees the holiness of Jesus put on us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it, but it is what it is because we put our trust in the Lord Jesus, we're in Christ Jesus. It's not about performance-based faith. It's about trusting him and enjoying his goodness that flows to us day after day. We're equals, we are family. I want to say to you, friends, as we close this morning and as I pray, I want you to be brave. A lot of people will say to me, don't mention sin, it'll offend people, it'll upset people. And I, I, I accept you need to be led by the Spirit. You need to be motivated by love. You know. You need, it's God's timing and how God wants things to, to be, but you, people aren't going to get the gospel unless you give them the full picture. And I want to encourage you this morning, family, to be brave enough. If you're sharing the gospel with someone over lunch this week, if you're sharing the gospel with someone who's visiting your small group, your life group, or maybe you bring a friend to church and they've got questions, don't water down the law. The law is a purpose. The law is to be a mirror to help us understand our condition, to drive us to the cross. And once we've got that, the purpose of the great purpose of the Old Testament is complete. There's still great parables there. There's great insights into people relating to God. There's some beautiful prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, and some are yet to be fulfilled. But the primary purpose of the law is fulfilled. When you say, I'm going to trust Jesus with my life. I'm going to die to self. And live to him. Would you stand please? As we stand together, and I've just closed my eyes, I get this impression from God that he wants to build a people of power and grow a people of power. He wants this church to be a miracle-working church. He wants this church to be full of stories of, of people that have been totally transformed. And it won't happen unless we tell the whole truth. So, Father, as we stand in this place and we think about your call in our lives, we thank you, God, that we're in the family. We're in Christ because you're good. And we're not. And we've been made righteous. We've been made holy through you. We think of what we enjoy. We think of the people around us, God, in our city, in our homes, our neighbourhoods, in our workplace that we really care about, that we want to see encounter you. God, give us the courage to present the full gospel so they experience your power and your grace and your forgiveness. Father, we ask that you would add to your team, to your family, hundreds and thousands of people in this city through people just like us through people like us, Lord, listening to your voice and not being ashamed of the gospel. Father, we pray that you'd stir up in the hearts of the people that we know and we care about a hunger, a curiosity for the things of the kingdom. And we thank you in advance for the harvest that's coming of people that aren't just going to make a decision for you, but become disciples, become relatives for eternity. We bless you for your goodness, God, that you've invited us called us and equipped us to be part of the adventure of serving you in this place. Father, we want to speak this week a blessing over each one of us, God, that as we go into the week, you'd remind us of your grace, you'd remind us of your goodness. And when we speak about you and about the truth of Scripture, give us the ability to speak the right word with power. Father, when you convict people, when people hear the truth and they're convicted, give us the courage to follow that up and support them going forward. Father, we believe for a harvest. We believe for a great future. We believe, Lord, in the season, when people are saying they don't need you, they don't need Jesus, that eyes will open and hearts will receive. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.